Amen, amen. Good morning, church. I hope you're doing well uh, today, and a happy new year. I haven't seen you since then, so I'm excited to be back worshiping together. Uh, excited about this year. Really got a lot of cool stuff uh, going on, a lot of awesome stuff, prayer and fasting. We're also in process with our permanent facility. That'll be being built all year, which will be awesome to kind of track uh, through that. We also uh, have some missionaries in training. Uh, we also have uh, a lot of stuff going on outside of that. But one thing that I'm most excited about this year is uh, walking through the book of John together. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up uh, to the book of John. Uh, the book of John is probably one of my favorite books in the Bible. I know you probably say, Billy, you're a preacher. All the books are your favorite. Well, John specifically uh, is a very, very uh, important book in the Bible. You know, I think it was uh, Martin Luther that said, if you take all the, somebody stole all the books of the Bible, but they left John and they left Romans, uh, it would be enough for Christianity to stand because John tells us what Jesus did and Romans tells us why it was important and, and what the implications of it are. And so the book of John is, is one of the four gospels, obviously, uh, and I wanna tell you why we're walking through uh, the book of John. Why are we gonna spend 40 weeks of this year in the gospel of John? Well, number one, we exist to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus. In order to grow with Jesus and love Jesus, you gotta know Jesus, right? And so the Gospel of John is going to walk us through the life of Christ and gonna help us know him more. And I believe the more we know him, the more we'll love him. The more we love him, the more we'll follow him uh, wholeheartedly. And so that's one of the reasons. Another reason is I believe there's an interesting issue uh, that is, is, is kind of rising up uh, where we live and around our world. And I believe it's the biggest threat uh, and the biggest uh, issue uh, facing Christianity today. And what it is, is people are conforming Jesus uh, to be what they want him to be rather than what Scripture tells us uh, or who Scripture tells us that Jesus actually is. And it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but it's a huge deal because when you lose the Jesus of the Bible, you lose the promises, you lose everything because Jesus has revealed himself to us in his word as he is and our abundant life and fulfillment and, 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 and purpose and identity or all of those things are wrapped up in an accurate view of Jesus. And so one of the reasons that I wanna walk through this is to really uh, begin to clarify our view of who Jesus is and who Jesus is not. You know, we have a lot of people uh, where we live that the issue is never believing in Jesus, right? Pretty much anybody you ask in uh, the, the 90, 100, 200 square miles of South Georgia is gonna tell you, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And so the issue is never just believing in Jesus. There's no problem with that as long as Jesus doesn't require something of them, as long as he doesn't cost them anything, as long as he doesn't ask them to give up anything, as long as he doesn't ask them for, to stand for things that may rub others the wrong way. You see, the Jesus that a lot of people believe in where we live is a comfortable, uh, kind of complacent, convenient Jesus. And, and Jesus can be comfortable, but most of the time he's not. And when you read his life, he's constantly challenging people to take steps that aren't comfortable to them. You know, we can say, okay, well, I believe in Jesus, and our life can be all about Jesus, but if it's all about our Jesus and not the Jesus, we miss the point of Christianity altogether. And so what we're doing when we do that is we're asking Jesus to conform to ourselves, and in that we lose everything, joy, satisfaction, fullness of life. None of those things come from knowing a made-up Jesus. All of those things come from knowing the real Jesus, which is what we're gonna call this series through the book of John. We're gonna call it uh, the real Jesus, and we'll be talking about it uh, all year. And so the, no, the way that we know the real Jesus is through his word, right? And so as a Christian, uh, Bible study has to be an important part of our life because God wrote a book, and he wrote this book to reveal himself to us, and ultimately, that's, that's how we know him. That's how we walk with him. That's how we fall in love with him. He wants to be known, and he's given us a book uh, for that. But in the world we live in, uh, everybody's got an opinion about Jesus. You know that? Everybody's got an opinion, and that's not changing. It's actually gonna get worse and worse. People are gonna continue, uh, the Bible says, to conform Jesus to what they want, and, and it's being about tickling of ears, and what, say whatever you wanna say. You can be a Christian, do this, that, and the other, and all that. And I want us to be a church that stands on God's word that stands on the truth, that knows who Jesus is and who he's not, and that can lead people 
to, to a relationship uh, with him. Because ultimately, our opinions don't matter. What matters is God's word. And that's what we're going to study and we're going to look at. The truest thing about God is what God has said about himself. And so that's what God's word uh, tells us. And John tells us, in John chapter 20, verse 31, you don't have to turn there, but John gives us his purpose statement for his gospel. Uh, he says in John chapter 20, verse 31, uh, these are written so that you may believe. And so he's kind of at the end of his letter, his gospel, he's told the story, he says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so what John wants for us and what I would love for us and my prayer for us in this year of 2023 is that as we walk through the book of John together, 40 weeks in the book of John, that we would be inspired to believe in Jesus and to experience this abundant life that he has for us, that God would take us deeper than he ever has uh, before. So John chapter one, we're gonna start in verse one. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open there. I'll give you a second. <clears throat> if you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen behind me. You can follow along there. So this is God's word, John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. Now don't think about that too deep or your head will start hurting. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. And without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so one important thing to understand about the book of John is that John was writing to a specific audience. You see, there's, there's four gospels in the Bible. Gospels just mean the good news of Jesus, the studies, the life of Jesus. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and you have John. Matthew, Mark, Luke are known as the synoptic gospels. All of them were written around the same time period uh, after the death of Christ. And then about 30 years after those were written, John decided that uh, God inspired him to write another uh, gospel, and this is the gospel of John. And so what was going on that would ask, that, that God would ask John to write this? Well, John was a disciple, so he was a firsthand eyewitness of Jesus. He was there with him. He was kind of his closest disciple, that self-proclaimed, but, you know, we'll go with it. And so he, uh, he wrote this gospel because people had began to question who Jesus was after these other gospels had kind of through his life. I mean, it's just like our world. People, uh, anything you put out there, People are going to try to uh, come at it and, you know, attack it in all different ways. And so John wrote his letter to these people that were questioning Jesus and who he was. And it was written a little bit later. John was an old man. He wrote it from Ephesus, most people believe. And so John comes straight out of the gate, and he's letting you know exactly what the point he's trying to make. He makes it abundantly clear to everybody, everyone, who Jesus is. And he does it. He says Jesus is God, he says he's the creator, he's the light, and he is the life. And he begins to just say that over and over again in different ways. And so the first way he says it is he says, in the beginning was the word, notice the word is capital in that, so he's referring to Jesus, he's calling Jesus the word. And so in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, and he was with God in the beginning. Well, uh, part of that audience was you had a Jewish group of people uh, that were kind of God's chosen people all throughout the Old Testament. And then you also had a Greek in Ephesus. There would have been, uh, Greek culture would have been in there. So you had Greek people. So what is he doing? Well, it, when he says in the beginning, if you've read the Bible, you know that that's the same way the Bible starts, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so as soon as he said that, the Jewish people would immediately go back to Genesis and know exactly where, where uh, John was talking. Well, not only that, but the word, uh, when he says the word, uh, the word in Greek for word is, is logos, which is a Greek idea or a Greek philosophy. That word comes from the Greek. It's uh, to them, uh, logos meant a force or the force that was behind everything. So they would have called God or the person that created everything the word. And so what he's doing is he's, he's drawing in the Jewish audience, but he's also like bringing in the Greek audience. And he's saying, hey, this guy that, the word that you see this force behind everything, whether it's one person or two, I'm telling you, the force is here, and in the beginning, he's here, and this was Jesus, and that is his name, and you need to understand that. And so he wants them to understand that Jesus was not created 
that he's eternal. He is God, and he has always been. In the beginning was God. God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so this is important because what they were attacking in Jesus, the only way to discredit the gospel is to prove that Jesus was not fully God. Because if he's not fully God, then his sacrifice on the cross is not sufficient for the salvation of the world. Right? And so that's why the spirit of the Antichrist, as the Bible would say, always denies Christ. And so anything that denies Christ is not of God because Christ is the second member of the Trinity. Way number two, he says, through him, all things were made. This is through Jesus, all things were made. Without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. So again, John's point is that Jesus is God from the beginning and he created all things, everything, everything that was made was made by him and through him. All plants, all animals, all humans were created by God for God. Meaning if you get down to all of us, plants, animals, to the molecular, cellular level, and you flip up the tag, it's gonna say made by Jesus Christ. Everything that was made was made by him. And the implications of this claim, of this truth, are astounding. Because listen to me, if Jesus is our creator, then life's greatest questions can now be answered. They can now be answered. Who am I? The best person that can tell us who we are is the person that created us. Why am I here? Who can answer that best? The person that put us here and created us here. And so that's why a lot of atheists and agnostics or whoever it is, as soon as you get into college, for some of you high school kids, when you get to college, they throw you in a biology class. The first thing a non-believer professor is going to try to tell you to do is that you believe the Bible, and that's stupid. You shouldn't believe the Bible, if it's a secular college, of course. And then they're going to tell you about evolution and the Big Bang Theory and all this stuff where they're trying to make sense of something that, that, that just without a creator does not make sense. Nothing plus nothing will never equal something, right? And so... There has to be a creator. It takes way more faith to believe that stuff than it does to believe that there was a creator and that creator came to earth and his name was Jesus and it can historically be proven in that. Way number three, he says, in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. And this light shines into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So Jesus is life and Jesus is light. Well, think about it. What does light do? Well, light exposes things and reveals things, right? Have you ever been in a dark room? If you're a parent, you know this feeling where you wake up, somebody's crying in the middle of the night, all the lights are off, and uh, there's some things on the floor usually that you wish were exposed by light before you step on them, right? And so, especially my kids, they love to leave stuff right in the walkway, you know, things like Legos and um, what was it last night? Uh, Masha, uh, Masha and the Bear little, little doll, you know, and it's, it always seems to be right on the right on the right part of my foot when I step on it, right? And so it's that idea where if the light was on, that would be revealed and exposed where I wouldn't have to step on it and then say some choice words when I do. But I did, right? And so that's what Jesus says is he's the light. And when he says he is the light, what it means is he's coming to expose and reveal. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do is to expose darkness in the world. Well, the problem with that is there's darkness in us. And, and the, one of the reasons that Jesus was killed, because we, when we read this gospel, you're like, man, why are they killing this guy? He's serving people, washing people's feet. He's doing great things. Why are they killing him? Well, he in himself exposes darkness within people, and people do not like to be exposed. They don't like the guilt. They don't like the shame. They don't like to be exposed. And when they do, they'll do anything to stop it. And so his life exposes our darkness. His life reveals God to us and reveals life as it should be uh, to us, and most importantly, his life made a way for us to be saved and to experience abundant life in him. And this idea and these verses really set the stage for the rest of the book of John. If you want to know what the rest of the book of John is about, he's already given it to you. When you get and believe John's whole point, which is that Jesus is God, it truly does change everything. It changes. It changes everything. One of the things that it changes is how you read the Bible. Like when you begin to see that Jesus is God, 
and to know God means to know Jesus, then you begin to read the Gospels in a way that you never have before. Most people, when they read the Bible, they read for intellectual understanding, or they read to prepare for a Bible study, or they read to, uh, because their preacher told them to read. But that's not the way God wants us to read the Bible. God wants us to read the Bible to know him, because it is a revelation of him, and to know him is to know uh, Jesus. And so we can read about him, and, his, and, and when we get to know him, we know our identity and our purpose, and all that's wrapped up in uh, to him. And so I'm praying this year would be the year that all of us would begin to read the Bible uh, consistently and read it for the right reason, to know and walk with Jesus. Because I can promise you, if you will begin to do that, God will begin to transform your life. I will promise you that. But you gotta read it for the right reasons. And if you, we'd love for you to read along with us. We have a 412 reading plan on our app where as a church, every year we're reading the Bible together. I'm preaching on those, those passages we're in small groups talking about those passages. It's a great opportunity. Uh, don't miss out. You can have, find it on our app. Uh, number, verse 6 says this. John says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, this is a different John, not the author. This guy is John uh, the Baptist. Verse 7, he came as a witness to testify concerning that light, that light being Jesus. He just told us that. So that, listen to this, it's important. Through him, all might believe. Say that with me. So that through him, who might believe? All might believe, right? So does it matter who you are? Does it matter how much money you have? Does it matter what color you are? Does it matter what you've done or who you've done? No. All people to believe. That's what Christ came. That's why John the Baptist preached what he preached. So that all might believe in Christ. Verse 8. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. And the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. How sad is that? And he came to that which was his own, but his own not only didn't recognize him, but it says his own did not receive him. And don't you just put yourself in the shoes of Jesus. And that's hard to do, but you created the world, and then you show up into the world, and not only does the world not recognize you, but they won't receive what you're saying. My immediate response to that would be anger and yelling at people, right? But listen to the next statement that the Spirit makes through John. He says, he, verse 11, I'm going to go back. He, come, he, uh, he came to that which was his own, but he did not, his own did not receive him. Verse 12, listen. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Maybe the greatest promise in all of Scripture, right there. That those who would believe, that those who would receive him and recognize him for who he is, he adopts them into his family and makes them co heirs, sons and daughters of the King of the universe. And so we see John's introducing us to another person here, John the Baptist. We're going to talk a lot about him next week because the whole rest of the chapter is on him. Apparently, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, uh, you need to be named John. Uh, so I know a great lawyer. If anybody wants to change their name, I'm in the process of changing my name to John because you got John the Baptist. You got the Apostle John that wrote this. You got John Piper, who's phenomenal. You got John MacArthur, who's smart as all get out. You got John Calvin. I mean, everybody in the Christian faith that's done great things uh, is named John. John Payton, who was a great missionary. I mean, you got all these Johns everywhere. So if you're naming your child, uh, name him John. And so John says this, but again, this is John the Baptist who came as a witness, right? And so this is important. You don't know, have to know, but in Malachi, uh, there was a prophecy in the Old Testament that before the king would come, there would be a front runner, a person that would come before him that would prepare the way for him. That person was John uh, the Baptist. Now, before you Baptists get crazy in here, um, he's not a Baptist, like not a denominational Baptist, not what it's saying. His name is John the Baptizer, right? So he, we know he's going to baptize people. There's nothing wrong with you if you're a Baptist. It's just don't get too cocky about it. Then he gets back. Uh, immediately, John rolls back to Jesus, and he says, the true light. And so he says, I'm not, he's not the light. The true light is here. And then he tells us a couple things. Jesus came into the world, but the world didn't recognize him as God, nor did it receive him. They actually mocked him and ultimately killed him. 
And if you look in the book of Acts, Peter's first sermon is like, hey, you killed the guy that God sent to you. You know, and so you, you see this play out throughout the Bible. But then he gives one of the most amazing promises in all the scripture, that those who would receive Jesus, that those who would believe in the name of Christ, that they would be adopted and God would adopt them and give them the right, the privilege to become a child of God. And what John is referencing here is not only adoption, but regeneration, to be born again. Maybe you've heard that language before, which is an amazing promise that you can't just read by in John chapter 1. John knows that regeneration is not something that you or I can do on our own. You know, Christianity is not something where you can just pull up your bootstraps and attack it on your own. That's not genuine uh, Christianity. It's about being born again. It's about being regenerated and receiving the Holy Spirit. Notice what John says. He says, children born not of natural descent, meaning that no one is physically born regenerated, right? If you have children, you know this. When we come out of our mom's womb, we are sinners. We like to do what we want to do. We don't like authority. We do not want to be a child of God. All of us are born that way. So that uh, means that we're not regenerated from uh, the beginning, nor is being born again Uh, Being born of God is not based on human decision or husband's will. That means that I can't call up people up here to the front and say, all right, if you'll say yes, you can be born again, or you can be born again, or you want to be born again, right? No, it's something God does. This is an act of God. It's really the greatest miracle in all of the Bible where God supernaturally regenerates a person upon their repentance and their belief. He gives them the faith to repent, and he gives them the faith to believe, and then he regenerates them into a new person. And this is important because a lot of people miss this. I want you to listen to Titus chapter three, verses three through seven. Paul explains it uh, really, really well. Verse three, he says, at one time, we too were foolish. We were disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Basically, we were hell raisers. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, that's Jesus, he saved us, not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. And listen, and he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. That's what, that, that's what we're talking about. Whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And so, so many people miss this about Christianity. They get satisfied with religion. And religion is man's attempt to save ourselves. It's man's attempt to clean up before God. And every other religion in the world tells you, if you do these things, then you can be right with God. Or if you live this way, then you can be right with God, or God will love you. But Christianity is the opposite. Christianity is not about doing something, right? It's not about you doing something to be saved. It's not about choosing to live differently or adopting a new set of life rules and attitudes or going to church or to stop drinking or to stop cussing. The problem with that is all of those things you and I can do on our own. I mean, we may not be able to do it for an extended period of time, but for the most part, we can physically change things about our behavior. Being Christian Being a Christian is about more than that. It's about being born again, not being made better, but being made new. And when we're made new, we will become better. But we gotta be made new before we start trying to become better. It's literally God making you a new person. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, anyone who's in Christ, the new has come and the old is gone. We've become a new creation is what Paul says. He changes our heart. God changes our desires. He puts his spirit, God himself, the third person of the Trinity, inside of us, and he begins to do a work in our lives that starts from the inside out. And I don't know where you're at in your faith, and I don't know how much you've heard somebody preach, but if you're, on the, if you're under the understanding that you start in Christianity by working from the outside in, you've misheard the entire gospel. The gospel does not transform our lives from the outside in. We don't clean up. We come to Jesus as we are. He does a work in our heart, and then he begins to transform us from the inside out. And so we have to understand that because this is the glorious reality of the gospel. He begins a work in us, and he adopts us into his family. And to those who believe and receive him, that 
invitation that is available today. So like, don't go any further trying to do Christianity on your own. Like it starts with humbling ourselves and saying, God, I can't do this. I need you to transform my life. So do not fall into that trap of religion. Verse 14 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and full of truth. And John, John the Baptist testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one that I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. And now he has made him known. So no one's ever seen God. But now when Jesus appeared, he's now made God known to us. So John makes an amazing statement here. We talked a little bit about this at Christmas Eve. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I love how Eugene Peterson says this in the message. He says it this way. He says, the word became flesh and blood and he moved into the neighborhood. It's the greatest missionary story ever told. God himself, our missionary God, sent Christ as a missionary to rescue his people. It's an incredible thing. It move into our neighborhood and model for us and preach the gospel and lead us. But the word is tabernacled, right? And so we talked about this at Christmas Eve. Uh, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That word is tabernacled. And it's a very significant word in the Bible. If you've never read the Old Testament, there's a lot about a temple and a tabernacle and an ark. Well, the tabernacle in the Old Testament housed the presence of God. And so John is saying here that when Jesus came to earth, we are getting the living, breathing presence of God with us in Christ. So when we see Christ, you see God. You see the living, breathing presence of God. Don't go to the temple anymore. Look to Jesus. Here is Jesus, that God himself has come to be near his people. And that may not sound like a big deal to some of us, but it is an absolutely huge deal. Because when we understand the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, we get a God that cannot be touched. He can't be touched. Moses couldn't come near him. Uh, Isaiah couldn't see his face. Israel couldn't go up the mountain to talk to him. I mean, there was a guy named Uzzah uh, in the book of 2 Samuel that simply touched the ark from the temple that was in the presence of God, and literally God struck him down and died, and he killed him. And even the high priest, who were like the holy, holy guys, they would do all these washings and ceremonies, and they could only go into uh, the tabernacle, to the presence of God, one time a year. And they'd put bells around their neck, because if they went in and they didn't do all the cleansings just right and the sacrifices just right, God would strike them down dead on the spot. And so we see this in the Old Testament, a God that cannot be touched. Because Genesis to Malachi is a story of people not being able to freely come near to God because of his holiness and our sin. That's the issue, that God is holy and we're sinful and our sin separates us from God, the very God we were created to be in relationship with with and then Jesus bust on the scene in a new age in a new way and he says I'm coming to be the savior I'm coming to be the great rescuer that's going to rescue you and reconcile you back to God and this is amazing 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 to me the holy holy God of old that couldn't be touched has now descended and chose to take on human flesh and live with and speak with and be near to and touch sinners. And in this moment, John is saying, he's here with us, and this Jesus is the Jesus that I'm talking about. And this is, just blows me away, because the thing about it is, is Jesus didn't have to come to us. You understand that, right? I mean, we live in a culture that's entitled. You get that, like, we, we deserve this, or we deserve that, and it's easy to look at God saying, yeah, well, we deserve for him to come save us. No, we don't. Like, God did not have to do anything. He had every right to stay in heaven. He had every right to judge us in our sin. He had every right to keep his distance, but he did not. 
He chose to become the ultimate missionary. He chose to become the rescuer. He chose to become man. He chose to put on flesh, be born in a, in a manger with animals at, at the lowest of lows and chose to step out of a perfect heaven, heaven into this sinful world. And he chose to come and be near to his people. That is our God. And there's no other gods like that. None of them. Every other religion gives you a God where you have to climb the mountain to get to him. And the problem is, is you never know if you've climbed high enough. But the God of the Bible says, you could never make it up my mountain. And so here's what I'm going to do for you, because I love you. And because I'm going to give you this gift of grace, I'm going to send my son, God himself, down to climb the mountain for you, to get you and bring you on his back all the way up the mountain so that you can be reconciled to God. This is the gospel. This is the gospel that we believe. This is the gospel that we celebrate. And John says, this is amazing grace. A grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And that's better preaching than y'all responding. So y'all need to get fired up in here. Um, you know, God revealed his son for that reason. And so the question is, is do you know him? Like, is this the Jesus that you believe in? Like, is this the God? Because that God is worth giving up everything for. Because he's given us what we can never give ourselves. He's rescued us for eternity, and he's brought all sorts of things in that statement with him. And that's what I want to spend the rest of my time talking about, is I believe there's one critical thing that we need to take away from this passage today. And the critical thing is the truth about Jesus. We need to know the truth about Jesus. And once we know the truth about Jesus, the truth has implications on our life. And if the implications don't take root in our life, then we don't believe the truth about Jesus. You get that, right? And so not that we gotta be perfect with them, but if I believe this about Jesus, this truth, then the implications of what that means will be reflected in my life. It's not an intellectual assent. When we believe in Jesus, it's actionable trust. If I trust that Jesus is who he says he is, it will produce action into my life. So what does he say? What is the truth about Jesus? I wanna give you a couple things. The first is this, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. That's the first thing John wants us to know. And then I want to give you the implication in an if-then statement, right? So I want you to write this down. Number one, Jesus is God. Here's the if-then. If Jesus is God, then our view of God should come directly from him. If Jesus is God, if what John is saying is true, and we believe it is, the Bible teaches that, if Jesus is God, then our view of God should come directly from Jesus, and this is very, very important, because you know everybody on earth has a view or an opinion of God, right? And you can turn on the TV, turn on the radio, read articles, whatever you want to do. Everybody's got an opinion about God, and some of them are good, and some of them are bad. Some of them are right, and some of them are just clearly wrong, and most are shaped by things other than the Bible, and this is important. Like, the only good someone can do for you about God is to point you to what God's Word says. You understand that, right? I mean, we're, we're gullible now. Like, most of us will buy into anything. Like, I mean, I get people all the time, man, have you heard so-and-so do this preaching on da-da-da-da-da? Man, I was so jacked up when I got through. And I was like, well, you know, he, you know, he's known for teaching this. Did you know that? And then they're like, no, I didn't know. And da 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 you know, so like, we don't even think about, like, who, is, who it is. We just hear a message and just receive it from anybody. And that can get us into a lot of trouble when it's not shaped around God's word. That's why as a church, when I come, like I would even encourage you, if I'm not preaching the Bible, which hopefully you'll never have to worry about this, but if what I say is not coming out of this, you need to go somewhere else and hear where it is. And if someone gets up in front of you and the Bible's not open and they're not taking you through God's word, uh, man, it is not good. And I'm telling you, we live in a world where that's going away. There are only going to be a few that are doing that. And so I pray that you can discern that and know whether somebody's telling you what God's word says because we got an enemy and he's crafty and he knows what to do. And most people are shaped by things other than the Bible, life experiences, families, uh, opinions, articles, or social media, whatever it is that gives them a view of God that they want, that tickles their ears, people buy into it. And people love to blame stuff on God. I mean, I've heard everything in, in, in my 12 years in ministry now. I've heard all kinds of stuff. God hates me because nothing in my life is working out the way I want it to. God is punishing me because uh, he won't give me what I want. I only want this one thing, and I've prayed 15 times, and he won't give it to me. God doesn't love 
people like me. If he knew what I did in my past, uh, he wouldn't love me this way. God can't use me, Billy. You don't know uh, the mistakes that I've made and the people that I've hurt. God is boring, Billy. I've tried to read the Bible, and it's just not for me. I mean, I could go on and on and on and on with the different, I've heard it all, and none of those are from the Bible. I don't know where that comes from, but man, it's just, it's what people grab onto. But in the life of Christ, and while we're looking at the book of John, we see God clearly. There's no more guessing about God. We see his love, we see his grace, we see his truth, we see interactions and encounters with people and how he deals with people that are far from him. We see his desire to seek and save lost people. We see his power to overcome anything that the enemy or the world can throw at us. We see what makes him happy, what makes him sad, what makes him angry, the things that he cares about, the things that he lives his life to do, mission, all, we, all of that wrapped up in the life of Jesus. And if I could get anything across to you today, it would be this. If you want to have an accurate view of God, look to Jesus. Look to him. Look to Christ. Look to his life. Look to the cross. The cross is the epitome of Jesus and his character and who he is and what he's come to do. His love and his justice kiss as he sacrifices himself and takes on the wrath and the punishment of God do sinners for us on our behalf. Don't allow others to shape your view of God. Don't allow others to shape your view of God. It's too important, specifically others that aren't pointing you to God's word. If others aren't pointing you to God's word about God, then don't listen to them. It's not, it's not worth it. And here's my question. What is it or who is it that's shaping your view of God the most right now? Is it, is it God's word or is it family members? Is it traditions or is it even preachers? Again, I've told you the only good a preacher is is as much as they can point you to God's word. That's it. That's, that's all I can do. My job is to serve the people by putting the truth before you. And so who is it that's shaping your view of God the most? Because my promise is this. If you will begin to study God's word to know Christ, then you will fall deeply in love with Jesus. You will. I'm telling you, you will. You can't get away from him because there's no one like our God. There's no one like him. I, mean, I could go back and over, over, over the gospel. There's, the deeper you know him, the more you will love him. And the more you love him, the more you'll live for him. But we gotta be devoted to knowing him through his word. Number two, Jesus is creator. John wants us to know that Jesus is the creator. And that's important because here's the implication. If Jesus is creator, then our identity and our purpose should come directly from him. It's important, write that down. If Jesus is the creator, then our identity, who we are, who we believe ourselves to be, and our purpose, what we are here for, should come directly from him. He is the source, the best person to, to tell you who you are and why you're on this earth is the person that created you and put you here. He created you, he knows you, he has an identity for you, and he has a purpose for your life. And so here's my question. When it comes to your identity and your purpose, who is the loudest voice in your life right now? Like, who is it that's telling you who you are and what you're worth and what your value is and what your purpose is in life? Who are you listening to? Who is the loudest voice in your life? Because we're all listening to somebody. And based on recent statistics and two and a half hours of it is social media. And not everybody on social media is talking about the truth, right? There's a very few and far between. So we need to leave room for God to be the loudest voice in our life. Don't let a man or a woman tell you your value or your purpose. Don't let a boss or social media look to God. He created you. Have you ever stopped and asked this question, what does God think about me? What is, who does he say that I am? And we just sang it. Who does God say that I am? Because God has a lot to say about your identity and your purpose because he created you. He says, one, you're valuable. You're valuable. You're created in the image of God. You have intrinsic value because you're created in the image of God. He says, you're loved. God so loved the world that he sent his son. Last time I checked, the world involves me and you. He so loved us that he sent his son. He says that if you're a Christian, you've been made new, that your sin doesn't define you anymore. He says that you have a great purpose, that you are gifted and useful for the great commission for his glory. 
He says that you are his. You've been adopted into his family as a son and daughter and that he will always be with you in the good times and the bad times that life throws at you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And nothing, nothing can snatch you out of his hand. The devil, anything the world throws at you, he says you are secure in me. And he's telling us these things as truth. And listen to me, it makes absolutely no sense to allow anyone other than God to tell you who you are and what your purpose is. If you let a person do it, make sure they're telling you from God's word. Just give me a verse with it. That's it. God has a lot to say about our identity and purpose. You're created by God and for him. And the most freeing thing that you will ever experience and ever walk in is the identity and the purpose that God's given you. That's why John in chapter eight, we're gonna see it. He says, hey, you get the truth and the truth sets you what? Free, because you can walk in the truth of God. Anything other than the truth may seem like freedom, but it actually is not freedom. It leads to death and destruction. I mean, I always use this example. It's like a fish. Well, if a fish believed and all the other, I mean, let's just swim around. We're fish. I'm a bass. You're, you're a brim, so I won't eat you. And uh, we're swimming. And I'm a fish, and I'm telling you, hey, wouldn't it be cool to live on the bank, like on the land? Wouldn't that be so cool? We could go to uh, Zaxby's and Chick-fil-A and eat, and we could have a car and, you know, all this nice stuff. We wouldn't have to worry about these people trying to hook us in the mouth all the time and, you know, all this stuff. And, and man, I had you all talked up, and you just ran for it and jumped out of the water, and you jumped on the land. And you got on that land, and you realized, I can't breathe up here, and I'm going to die up here. It doesn't matter how great I was, when you get on that land, you, a fish was not created to live on the land. It was created to live in the water. And so the creator created it to live there. It's the same thing for us to live outside of God's design and God's will is like a fish trying to live out of water. And so when we look at the idea of God being our creator and Jesus being this creator, we need to understand that as we align our lives to him and our identity to him and our purpose to his, what we find is freedom. And we find purpose like never, ever before. Number three, John tells us that Jesus is light. Jesus is light, okay? If Jesus is light, if that's true, then our understanding of good and evil and really our understanding of everything should come directly from him, right? So, Again, what does light do? Light exposes darkness and reveals truth. And so because Jesus is light, then he exposes things in our life. Uh, namely, when we look at Jesus, we see our sin. We see areas of our life that we're not like him. It's not all bad, but for a large part, when you first look at Jesus, that's what uh, you see. That's why people killed Jesus and put him on the cross, is they didn't like being exposed. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus doesn't expose our sin to condemn us. You get that? Like, a loving father doesn't expose us to condemn us. He exposes us to convict us to help us move into his design where we'll find abundant life and freedom. And so that's what a loving father does. He exposes sin to convict us and invite us in and lead us toward righteousness. Listen to a few more scriptures from John on this just to clarify this idea of light. John chapter three, 19 through 21. Listen to what he says. John says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people, that's us, loved darkness instead of light because our deeds were evil. Everyone who does, not e does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth and comes into the light so that it may be, uh, whoever lives by the truth and comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So John says not everybody likes the light. He says people actually like darkness because we like sin. Now, even as a Christian, we don't have to think too hard to know that there's something in us that wants to do what we want to do when we want to do it, right? And we all know that. I mean, look at a child. I mean, they come out. If they don't get what they want, they cry. We're the same way. Like, we believe our ideas are the best. We know what's best for our life. There's nothing wrong with that until you look at God, and God says, no, I actually have a better plan for your life. And so at that point, you're at a crossroads. Do I trust his plan or my plan? And this is the crossroads that we all come to, and a lot of people don't like getting to that crossroads. 
Because a lot of people don't believe that Jesus is better. And that's the issue is when we know Jesus and believe that he is who he says he is, we see that he's better so that when we get to the crossroads, we choose Jesus because we know that his way is better than our way. And so if we're constantly choosing our way, our way, our way, then the issue in that is we aren't believing Jesus to be who he says to be. And we don't like to feel exposed because exposure brings shame and we don't like shame. But the good news of the gospel is that we don't have to walk in that anymore. God's already given us righteousness and now he's a loving father trying to help us become more like him. John chapter eight, verse 12, Jesus talks about it again. He says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So John says, when we follow Jesus, that we will walk in the light because now the light has come in us. Like the light himself, the spirit of Christ, now lives inside of us if we are a believer. You know the song, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, right? It's that picture of what uh, wants to do. And so what is this path of light that he's talking about? It's a great question. He answered it in 1 John, which the author of the Gospel of John also wrote 1 through 3 John and Revelation. And he writes this, 1 John 1, 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from, from him, Jesus, and declare to you, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And if we claim to have fellowship with Jesus and yet walk in the darkness, then we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And if we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And if we claim that we have not sinned, then we make him, God, out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So you see, John says walking in the light is not the absence of sin. For us, in the presence, walking in the light is, is the presence of honesty and confession and repentance and growth. As a Christian, that's what it looks like. God exposes us, and then we begin to confess, and he forgives us, and we repent and turn from it and turn to God, and we begin to grow to be more and more like Jesus. Martin Luther says that the essence of the Christian life is repentance. When you boil it down, that's what our life is if we're a Christian, is seeing God and seeing that we don't, we don't match up. We're, we're sinful, we're flawed, but we wanna be like Christ, and he's given us the spirit to lead us into that, and so we constantly walk in repentance. So here's my question. Are you walking in the light? Are you walking in the light? Are the presence of honesty and confession and repentance and growth, are those realities in your life? Because walking in the light doesn't mean you're perfect. Walking in the light doesn't mean uh, that you're perfect. It means you're walking in honesty and allowing God's word to expose you and to grow you to be more and more like Christ. And then the last thing John teaches us is that Jesus is life. And here's the implication. If Jesus is life, then the abundant life can be found in no other place. If Jesus is life, if that's true, then anywhere else we're trying to look for life, we're never gonna find it because we were designed to find it in God. You know, we, we live in a world that looks everywhere but Jesus for life. We look to money, we look to sex, we look to drugs and alcohol and power and fame and worldly success and we hold on so tight to this world that even when we read scriptures about abundant life being found in Christ, they don't even impact us because the world has such a grip on our life and may God give us eyes to see how good he is in the abundant life. We read verses like John 1, 4, in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. We read verses like 1 John 5, 12, whoever has the Son has life. We read verses like Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there's fullness of joy, and your right hand are pleasures forevermore. John 10, 10, that Jesus has come that they may have life and have it to the full. And then we walk away and we look elsewhere. And that's a sad reality. Because Jesus is right here and he's telling us, if you want abundant life, you need me. If you want eternal life, you need 
me. If you want joy and satisfaction and peace and purpose, you need me. How long will we continue to run a rat race looking for life in something that will never give us life? C.S. Lewis says it this way. He says, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And I'm telling you, every person in this room was made for another world. You were made by God and you were made for God. And so the question is, what is it or where is it or who is it that you're looking to to find life other than God? Because listen, I've, I've seen so many people and so many people have to go so far into that rat race to where everything in their life is destroyed before they look up and figure out that he's been there the whole time. And his offer is on the table. But you don't have to destroy your life before you figure out the right thing. Like you can listen, heed the word of God. You can hear God's word this morning of, if you want life, come to me. And so this morning, I don't, I don't know where you're at, but here's what I do know. The truth of John 1 says that those who receive Christ and those who believe in his name, that God gives them the right to be sons and daughters, to be a child of God. Are you a child of God? If you're a Christian, are you living like a child of God? Because God moved mountains to make it happen, the greatest miracle ever. Right where you are, I want you to bow your head. Again, I don't know where you're at this morning, but what I know is God's word's true. And the invitation is available to people like you and me. That if we'll receive Christ and believe that Christ is who he says he is, in an instant, God will make us a new person and God will begin to work in our life. And if you're in this room right now, I wanna ask you to be bold. You'd say, Billy, that's me. I want God to do a work in my life. I've been trying to do it on my own, but I know he's the only way. This morning, I want you, I want you to lift your hand right where you're at and say, Billy, that's me. I just wanna pray for you. Anybody in here? Amen. Anybody else? You say, Billy, that's me. I'll give you a second. So, Father, here's my prayer. God, would you create in us, God, would, would listening to the words of John, listening to the words of your, of your heart, God, your breath coming out through the book of John, God, would it inspire belief? And God, would it inspire change in our lives? Father, we love you. God, we know what you've done for us. And God, we know that you're leading us into good places. So Lord, I pray you give us the faith, God, for the people that are in the room today that are at this crossroads. And God, they're just struggling. God, that something in this world has a grip on them. God, would you give them the faith to see you for who you are? And as they do that, would their, would their grip just release? And God, would they find freedom like they've never found before? Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here, and we'll see you back next week.